the last podcast that I will be recording in North Carolina is going to be a question and answer lesson that we're going to be doing today on BibleStudyPodcast.org, starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is Wednesday, October 29th of 2008, and I'm your host, Toby Logsdon. And actually, I know that we're scheduled to do a Knowing God lesson today, but uh, I just didn't have time to put this lesson together before we uh, before we left for Arkansas. So we're going to be doing a question and answer lesson. I hope you guys don't mind. This is something that uh, I've actually been meaning to do for a couple weeks, uh, I wanted to put this up on a Friday, but man, it's just everything's been so hectic the last couple of weeks with getting ready to move and everything. Uh, but anyway, hope you guys are doing well today, and I hope that God has been blessing you with his grace and his peace, and that you guys are ready for another question and answer lesson. Uh, these are one of my favorite things. It gives me a chance to interact with you guys a little bit. And uh, it gives us a little bit of a break from the mundane, you know, gives us a break from uh, the things that, you know, we, we, I'm not saying that everything that we talk about is mundane, but, you know, it gives us uh, other things that we can look at. So anyway, as always, welcome to Christina. She'll be reading my questions for me today and uh, as always providing moral support for me. So yay for me. But uh, anyway, Christina, let's go ahead and get started with our first question today. What do we have for our first question? Okay, our first question today comes from Don. Don writes, Your view on eternal security is disturbing in that you use the words eternal life as proof for one and ignore scripture. Okay, the main portion of scripture I point to and you cannot deny is when Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. John chapter 15. I wonder, have you ever read about the sheep and the goats? They apparently knew Jesus. God didn't ask if they had accepted his son. He asked, what did you do for him? The goats did a lot, but not the things that were considered for him, while the others did for him all that he needed. You don't lose your salvation. That would say a sin could kill you. You walk away from it. No one can take it away. You have to go another way. Wow. Um, well... Okay, uh, you know, this email is a little bit on the condescending side, but Don, you know, I, I do appreciate the fact that you took the time to write me, you know, with your concerns regarding what I believe to be the biblical view of eternal security, and I can see that this is an issue that you take very seriously, and uh, and I do too, actually. So let me start addressing the issues that you've brought up, and I'll try to do this one at a time. First of all, you take issue with the fact that I take the words eternal life to infer that salvation is permanent and unchangeable. But let me ask you, Don, let me just ask you a quick question. Can you, or, or anyone for that matter, can anyone else, um, you know, give me one instance in all of scripture in which something pertaining to an aspect or an act of God, uh, which is what salvation is, by the way, it's, a, it's an act of God, uh, give me one instance in all of scripture where something that is said to be eternal uh, has the possibility of being temporary. Uh, we find uh, the, the word eternal in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, where it says that God's power is eternal. Uh, certainly, there's not a chance of his power being uh, anything but eternal. It's not temporary. Uh, the same verse also says that God's nature 
is eternal. Again, I would say that there is no possibility of that ever changing, no possibility of that being temporary. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul tells us that God has created a building. Uh, he's referring to our future glorified bodies, which will be eternal. Uh, again, this doesn't sound like something that can be uh, temporary, not even potentially temporary. Uh, God had an eternal purpose in sending Jesus, according to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11. Again, there's no potential for that being temporary. None of these things have potential for being temporal. Uh, you know, that none of these things are temporary. So tell me, Don, how can something that is said to be eternal be less than eternal? You know, Jesus spoke of the believer receiving eternal life once they put their faith in him, at the moment they put their faith in him. And I don't see how you could logically say that it is eternal and yet something that may or may not be permanent. Uh, to me, looking at that argument, that's just completely illogical. And you're being inconsistent with scripture, if, if I'm being honest. I'm, you know, just looking at this argument and, uh, you know, that's what I see. It's illogical and, and inconsistent with scripture. Uh, secondly, you say that I have ignored scripture, uh, such as John chapter 15. Okay, uh, let's take a, a quick look at John chapter 15. Starting in verse 1, we read, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. The second verse says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Now, let's go ahead and just stop there. I'm guessing that that's what you're talking about right there, uh, that that's talking about the fact that uh, that we can lose our salvation uh, because it says that the Father uh, takes away any branch that does not bear fruit. And some have indeed interpreted this to say that uh, the Father takes away every branch that doesn't bear fruit. And, you know, of course, this implies that we can lose our salvation, according to, the, uh, according to those who interpret it that way. But, you know, there are two things that we have to point out here. Uh, first of all, the term takes away, uh, which is what it says the Father does, the term takes away is pretty vague in this context. Uh, looking at the Greek, the primary definition of this term is actually to elevate or to lift up. Uh, so what this looks to me like it's saying is that God lifts up or encourages the fruitless branch. Uh, and if we're going to be consistent here, following the analogy of the vine, if you know anything about growing grapes, and I do, by the way, in fact, I, uh, I started planting uh, grapevines in our, you know, my own backyard about 10 years ago uh, when I was living in Las Vegas and you know had uh, over 50 pounds of grapes just in this little yard that we had there. And uh, we've got grapes here in North Carolina as well. So I do know a thing or two about growing grapes. Um, but, you know, following along with this analogy of the vine, uh, you know that if, if a branch uh, isn't growing grapes, you don't cut it off. Instead, it's usually not bearing fruit because it's either in, in too tight of a space, it doesn't have enough space to grow fruit, or it's not getting enough sunlight. And so what you have to do is you need to spread the vines out, uh, and you lift the fruitless one from among the others so that it can get more sunlight and uh, give it more room to grow and to bear fruit. So this verse is not saying that those who are not bearing fruit would be removed from the vine, which is Christ. Um, the second thing to note about this verse is that there are several, and I mean 
dozens of other verses from the Gospel of John which support the idea that salvation is permanent and uh, and can't be taken away, can't be turned away from, you know, none of these things. Uh, one of my favorite pairs of verses is, um, you know, from John, is uh, chapter 10, verses uh, 27 and 28, where Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, the only way the only way your view could possibly be correct would be to add the word if uh, into the mix there, uh, putting it in the middle of this passage, making it an if-then proposition. So uh, it would have to say, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and if they follow me, I give eternal life to them. Uh, so no, uh, you know, John 15 says absolutely nothing about the possibility of a believer losing their place in Christ. Uh, you know, if, if there's another verse from uh, chapter 15 that you're looking at uh, that, that you think implies that we can turn away from our salvation somehow, uh, let me know, but I, I don't see it in there at all. Uh, third, uh, going down the list here, third, you asked if um, if I have ever read about the sheep and the goats. And uh, yes, I have. Uh, I've, I've read through the book of Matthew several times, in fact. Uh, thank you for asking. But, you know, now you're saying that the, the only difference between the sheep and the, and the goats is what they did or didn't do. Hey, wasn't that a Keith Green song? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, but let's look at the context of the passage regarding the separation of the sheep and the goats. The sheep and the goats refer to people who either help the Jews during the tribulation or who do not help the Jews during the tribulation. Uh, this occurs after the rapture. Uh, there are no Christians remaining in the world, but many of the nation of Israel do come to accept Christ as the Savior. Uh, so there are people who are converted to Christianity after the rapture. Um, but so these people, uh, you know, they come to accept Christ as the Savior from the nation of Israel, as do some others who are not in the nation of Israel. Uh, and those others who do will be made evident by their offering assistance and shelter to the persecuted Jews. Uh, that's what this verse is talking about. You know, if a person's status as either a sheep or a goat is determined only by what they do or do not do, as Keith Green's song wrongly asserts, uh, then it's possible for someone who isn't a Christian to get into heaven. Uh, because, you know, lots of non-Christians do nice things and can be very uh, humanitarian. And so now we've taken a wrong turn and we find ourselves going down the path of heresy. Context, context, context. This passage is not saying that a person can lose their salvation. Uh, it just you're, you're taking it out of context. Uh, and finally, you argue that we don't really lose our salvation in the sense that God himself would take it away from us, but that we are able to walk away from it on our own accord and maybe uh, thus forfeit our standing in Christ. And uh, t to be honest and, and frank with you, Don, um, this is really just nonsense and conjecture. This is an issue that we're going to be talking a lot more about uh, and more in-depth in our study of Romans chapter 6, and so I won't say too much about this other than to note uh, that not all decisions are reversible, uh, and coming to Christ in faith is certainly a decision. Uh, so the fact that we make this decision does not you know, necessarily mean that we can escape the decision that we've made or reverse the decision that we've made. For example, if a person puts a gun to their head and pulls the trigger, it's an irreversible decision. Let's say that between the time that the bullet is fired and the time that it enters the person's head, they change their mind. Well, 
you know, it, it's too late, unfortunately. If I make the decision to uh, to break the speed limit, for example, and let's say I get pulled over, I wouldn't dare tell the police officer, uh, well, you know, officer, I've changed my mind about speeding up back there, so it's really not necessary for you to write me a ticket today, uh, and now I'll be on my way. Uh, yeah, that's like a Jedi mind trick, but it, <laughs> it doesn't work in reality. But, you know, the officer would undoubtedly say, too bad, buddy, you made your decision. The fact is that we can't go back on every decision that we make, and coming to Christ and faith and receiving salvation is one of those decisions which has irreversible effects, Uh, and Scripture makes that clear. The book of John makes that abundantly clear, and so does Romans, by the way. We already looked at John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28, which told us that once we are in his hand, nobody can take us out. Nobody. How about ourselves? No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that we can get out of his hand. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 make it clear that upon receiving and believing the gospel, we're sealed by the Spirit. Uh, that term sealed is kind of the key word there. We're sealed. It's, that means it's permanent. Uh, so are you saying that we could break the seal of the Spirit? You know, the only way that we would uh, be able to do that would be if we were more powerful than God himself. And I'm sure that you deny that just as strongly as I do. So, you know, I don't see any reason to, to look at all these, um, you know, these reasons that you've given me and to say, well, see, look, a person can lose their salvation. Uh, but again, Don, you know, I, I do appreciate you taking the time to write, but your arguments are just completely uh, baseless and are arrived at only by taking select passages uh, completely out of context. But let me recommend that you check out our recommended reading list on BibleStudyPodcast.org and order yourself a copy of Buy the Book, uh, which is written by Howard Hendricks, who was actually my hermeneutics teacher at Dallas Theological Cemetery. Uh, I mean seminary, Uh, you know, this book will help you get a better understanding of the principles of interpreting Scripture with consistency. But God bless you, Don, and thank you for writing and sending in the question. I do appreciate it. Uh, Anyway, that was kind of a long question and uh, answer, but hope you guys don't mind. Uh, Christina, what do we have for our second question today? Okay, our last question for the day comes from Craig, and Craig writes, My question is on our will, or what some people may call free will. When you look in creation, you see that when you set something in motion, that it affects everything that it touches directly or indirectly. When God created the universe, he set everything in motion, and being an eternal being, he knew the end before he even set the universe in motion. God knows every piece of us and knows what will draw us to him. In a funny way, you can say, since he created all of our buttons, he knows how to push them all. Given all of this, I believe in the fact that we have a will, but I do not think it is a free will. Our will is always going to be constrained by God's plan. If we truly are ransomed and we are slaves to righteousness, we have a will, but is that will not constrained to God's plan for our righteousness? Well, uh, that is a very interesting thought, Craig. And, uh, and of course, you know, I have some thoughts on your proposal, which basically boils down to the idea that we don't have free will, uh, but rather there's only God's will, which is in accordance with his plan. And we're constrained by, uh, by God's will or God's plan. Uh, but I have to wonder, uh, do you believe this because it was God's plan for you to, uh, to believe this, his will for you to believe this? Or do you believe this because uh, you yourself came up with this idea? Uh, if the reason you believe this is because God willed that you believe uh, this and and willed that I believe differently, then we may as well just talk about how well I did in my fantasy football league this 
week uh, because we're already at a stalemate. And by the way, I have Drew Brees as my quarterback for my fantasy uh, football league, so uh, I did pretty well this week. But uh, maybe you know the first objection to this idea stems from the fact that God wanted you to believe this theory, but uh, he wanted me to believe in free will. Uh, okay, but seriously, there are some serious, serious problems with this view, apart from the fact that it's unreasonable. And when I say that, I'm referring to the fact that if someone takes this argument to its logical end, they really could believe that God wants uh, you know, person A to believe that we have free will, and God wants person B to believe that we don't have free will. Uh, in addition to being an idea that you know, can't be reasoned with, it also just doesn't fit with what Scripture teaches. Now, I could easily uh, give you at least 20 or 30 instances in um, in all of Scripture in which this idea is inconsistent with what we read uh, in, in Scripture, but for the sake of avoiding overkill, I'll just give you two passages which I believe completely negate the idea that we don't have free will, but rather that all things are based on God's plan. Uh, so I, I think these two passages that I'm going to bring up uh, negate the idea that um, that all things are based on God's will or God's plan. I believe these two passages will be uh, will be sufficient for demonstrating that we do have free will and that uh, that our will doesn't always line up with God's will or God's plan. But let's first note that uh, that God's plan must be synonymous with His will, uh, because otherwise we have a God who um, either plans things that He doesn't want to plan and is therefore insane, or He plans or wills for things which uh, He He wills but can't achieve and so therefore he is less than ultimate um so anyway so it must be that his plan is in accordance with his will those two terms must be synonymous or interchangeable uh first of all the first passage i want to direct you to is second peter chapter 3 verse 9 which says the lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness but is patient toward you not wishing for any to perish but for all to come to repentance. Now, if God is not wishing for any to perish, then he wants to save everyone. However, not all people will be saved, as we discover toward the end of the book of Revelation. So if God wants to save all people, which is exactly what this verse tells us, he does want to save all people, and if not all people are saved, which scripture also clearly teaches, then it's impossible to deny the free will of humanity, uh, because God's will, that none would perish, is not being fulfilled. Uh, The reason not all people are saved is because their will is not aligned with the will of God. Uh, The second passage I would bring up is Matthew chapter 23, verse uh, 37, where Jesus has just been rejected by, uh, by the nation of Israel, basically, and so consequently he laments, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I have wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. Well, what does that verse say about God's will? It tells us that his will, his plan, his desire was to unite and lead Israel as her king. But if this was his will, then why didn't it happen? It's because the people had free will and they were not 
willing. Uh, Their will wasn't aligned with the will of God. And so therefore, it's necessary that the people had the ability to either accept or reject God's will. And here we see that they've rejected his will because they had free will. If they didn't have free will, but were bound by God's will, then they would have been willing. Uh, I'd also like to bring up the fact that there is a deep philosophical problem with your position as well. Uh, You know, we believe that evil is defined and thus understood as anything which is contrary to God's will. Is there evil in the world? You know, all we have to do is, you know, get on the internet or read the daily newspaper to find out this world is full of evil and corruption. If your theory is correct, then evil exists not because God has permitted it, but because God has willed it. Uh, His plan was that evil would completely corrupt everything that he has created if your theory is correct. So really what we see here is that your theory ascribes evil to God. And that is just... uh, Man, that's out of line, if you ask me. I don't know about you, but I would be shaking in my boots if I had to stand before God and say, God, you sure did a great job of causing all the evils in the world because of your will. You know, if there is no free will, but only God's will, and we're constrained by God's will, then when babies get, uh, you know, abused or molested or murdered, uh, it's because that's what God willed to happen. And I'm, uh, I'm sure I'm not the only one who would rather spend eternity in hell apart from God than to be in the presence of a sadistic, uh, amoral God for all of eternity. If a person had free will and enjoyed torturing other people or doing cruel and abusive things to others, we would say that they were sadistic and amoral. Uh, We would have to say the same of God if his will was the effective cause of every evil act in all of history. Uh, You know, I I think it's, it's pretty clear that your theory just, it it doesn't add up with the God of Scripture. Uh, It doesn't line up with Scripture at all, and it ascribes evil to God. Yet, Scripture teaches us that God can't even look at evil. That's how far away from it he is. Uh, And so, therefore, we cannot ascribe it to him. But with your theory, we can't help but ascribe it to him. So, if we can't ascribe evil to God, to whom can we ascribe it? Well, we ascribe it to the free will of humanity and fallen angels who have turned from God's will. And they've done so not because that's what God wanted them to do, but because that's what God allowed them to do, because God is love and uh, it has, and, and true love has to honor that. Uh, God's will is that all would be saved and act in accordance with his holy and righteous nature. But uh, God bless you, Craig, and and thank you for the question. I hope this clears things up for you. Um, You know, I'm not so sure how effective this answer would be for you, especially if uh, you actually do believe that what you believe is because, um, you know, uh, that's what God wanted you to believe, and I believe what I believe because that's what God wanted me to believe. Um, You know, if God wanted us to believe two different things, uh, I'm not sure how effective this answer will be for you. But, uh, you know, hopefully this makes some sense to you and uh, and to the rest of you. You know, if you guys are ever confronted with this question, maybe now you know how to answer it. So, anyway, God bless you guys, and thank you so much for listening today. Uh, We only have time for two questions, and uh, this marks the end of my podcasting career in North Carolina. So, uh, anyway, I will, um, I'll see you guys next time on BibleStudyPodcast.org. Uh, from Arkansas. God bless you. Thank you for listening today. Keep growing closer to Jesus.
This lesson has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org, a paraministry of Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, which is a nonprofit listener-supported ministry based in Monroe, North Carolina. While our desire is that your primary giving be done with your local church, if the Lord is leading you to support our ministry, we do depend on your support to keep our ministry going and growing. If you feel the Lord calling you to support our ministry, you can go to BibleStudyPodcast.org and click on support on the right-hand side. You can make a tax-deductible donation from there. By doing so, you'll be helping us to reach multitudes of people each and every month from around the world who, just like yourself, desire to find answers and meaning in Scripture. We thank you for listening today, and we pray that the Lord blesses you and draws you closer to Him. Keep growing closer to Jesus.